19 minutes past nine o'clock and it's the Riviera Wellbeing window. I'm joined by a UK psychotherapist and executive coach, Gavin Sharp from Riviera Wellbeing. And we're discussing Think Happy, Be Happy. Good morning. Good morning to you and to all the Riviera listeners. Come on then. Now, Julie Andrews clearly believes that we should think about our favourite things to feel better. Was she onto something and does positive thinking work? So there we are. My whole life's work has been reduced to Maria von Trapp and the sound of music. It was worth all those studies. Sorry, Mum. Sorry, Dad. Um, Yes, I think positive thinking works up to a point. And there's there's research, for example, by um, John Hopkins Medicine, who said there are lots of health benefits from positive thinking. If we are positive thinkers, we are better at managing our stress. We are, interestingly, more resistant to the common cold. Um, We get less depressed. Um, I was saying just before the break, we're less likely to suffer from heart disease. So, yes, I think that Julie Andrews was on to something. There's a wonderful quote by um, a US philosopher at the turn of the century, William James. And he says, the greatest discovery of our generation is that human beings can change the quality of their lives by changing the attitudes of their minds. So there's a whole body of therapy which is called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is built on the premise that our thoughts impact our moods. And actually it's not so much the external events that matter, they do matter, but it's how we interpret them. And probably one of the best examples I ever heard was if you think about a football match. And how is it that assuming that one side there's a victory or maybe there's consequences of it being a goalless match, whatever, but you think about a football match, how is it that all of those people who attend, they've all watched the same event, but half are going to go home in a different mood than the other half. So it's because of the interpretation we've made of that event. So um, positive thinking up to a point, but what I'd like to talk about a little bit today is actually when we reframe our thinking and we catch some of the negative thoughts, then we can really influence our moods. So maybe you could explain in more detail the connection between our thoughts and our moods is is what exactly? So, okay, so let's come up with an example. Let's let's imagine that you're, it's a nice Sunday morning and you're walking along the Promenade des Anglais in Nice and you see me walking um, in the other direction towards you and you see me and you nod or you wave and I walk right past you. What would you think? I just pretend I haven't seen you and I feel a bit stupid because I think other people have seen me waving at somebody and going, she's just been completely blanked. Okay, so you'd feel, <laughs> you'd feel a bit stupid. Yes. So that's, that's the... And what, what might the thought be? And I'm putting on the spot. What might the thought be? I've just ignored you. He might not have seen me. Okay, so that's the thought. He, he didn't see me and I feel stupid. Or I might be thinking, what have I done wrong? Why yeah. is Gavin ignoring me? Okay. Well, I mean, thank goodness he's ignoring me. (laughs) That was the answer I feared. But let's go with the other one. So that's a really good example of, and you didn't have to think very long, and that thought was probably automatic, um, so that um, he, um, oh, he probably didn't see me, or... Uh, I can't remember the other one you said, or he saw me and... Which is being a bit embarrassed about having waved at you and you not seeing me right. and other people seeing... So, so the thought that you had first influenced the mood of feeling embarrassed 
or feeling stupid. Okay. And what tends to happen with all of us is that without giving it much thought, um, a, a deliberate pun, I guess, there, um, it's, it's automatic. We just interpret, we tell ourselves something. And by telling ourselves that um, Gavin didn't notice me, I feel stupid for waving, or very often those thoughts are quite negative. So let's say, for example, we have an argument with our partner and we, we tell ourselves stories and we say, well, obviously they don't love me. Um, and then that makes us feel anxious. And actually, not only does it affect our mood, it then affects our behavior because then we walk out and we slam the door or we feel our heart beating or we mm. start to feel. So something has started with before we've got to the emotion, there's been a thought which has been automatic, um, and that thought has triggered the mood. And again, take another example. Let's say someone loses their job. One person can think this is a disaster. Um, I always do this. I'm a failure. Um, we're never going to earn any money. Um, this is going to be really bad. And someone else has a different thought, um, which is, didn't really like the job that much. This is probably an opportunity. Um, and that person's going to have a mood which is more hopeful. And the first person's going to have a mood that's more anxious or fearful. So these thoughts, which are very often automatic, they drive our moods and they have a huge impact on our moods, our behaviors, our physiology. Okay. But well, what about if you think happy and, well, think positively and positive things? do happen. I know it can sometimes be hard to think positively, but I mean, through my experience, if you really hang on to thinking positively, then you you kind of create an aura around you where positive things are going to come back at you, no? Yes, and so I think, and this is where we, we sort of get into to, um, you know, controversial territory around um, how much positive thinking is healthy and how much mm. are we deluding ourselves. And again, there is some. there was some research in, um, I think it was two or three years ago, with the Social Psychology Bulletin, and they said, um, they acknowledged the, the power of positive thinking. And then they said, but actually, um, there is such a thing as realistic optimism. And people who are overly optimistic, they can end up with poor mental health because actually they're setting themselves up for disappointment and for a fall. And yet, um, so this overall positive outlook can be damaging, um, but um, so too much positivity, no. Positivity in moderation, yes. But when we get into sort of toxic positivity where we are denying the essence of what's going on around us, um, then it's not so healthy. Okay, and a question from a listener, which kind of goes back to you talking about being in a couple and when you have an argument and how it makes you feel. Um, hi, Sarah. Hi, Gavin. Uh, could you please ask Gavin, if you are married to someone who is a negative thinker, how can you handle it? So it, I guess it slightly depends on on the definition of what's what's negative because I can perceive something as, as being negative and my partner doesn't. But let's assume that you're married to someone who is quite moody, um, or someone who's a perfectionist, or um, uh, they're, they're a constant worrier, or they're they're very critical. That's something that often comes up with negative thinkers. Um, it is tough. I think you need to set clear boundaries in terms of 
what is acceptable and not acceptable to you. Um, and you need to understand and accept that you're not responsible and nor are you in charge of your partner's emotional energy. It's not your job to set your partner's regulatory system. So yes, from a place of empathy, you need to share with them what's the experience of living with someone who's negative. You want to try and um, through, you know, being um, empathetic, communicate. Um, you might want to understand the root of the negativity. Maybe they're unhappy about something. Um, and, you know, some of us do have a negativity bias. The brain actually prefers negative information because we're always, we're, you know, we're, we're alert, we're fearful of the threat. Um, but it's very tough to live with someone who is constantly negative. And we need to share with that person what it's like and we need to set some boundaries and surround ourselves with people who are not negative. Okay, well, a similar question. Hello, Gavin. Hello, Sarah. I would have a question for uh, Gavin's well-being window. How can someone convince someone else who always thinks in worst-case scenarios to change to positive thinking? And if I'm allowed to ask, and if you know it, Gavin, he says, what do you think about the book uh, Le Pouvoir, Les Pouvoirs de la Pensée Positive uh, from Bernard Boudin? I don't know if you know the book. So I, I don't know the book. Um, I'd be interested, actually, if you send me the link, I'd be interested to have a look at it. Unless, of course, it's all in French, then I'm going to struggle. Um, so Sarah can translate it for me. Um, Ulteriorment. I think <laughs> I get into much worse messes than you do. Um, I think it's hard to change someone. Um, and I think all we can do is um, we can focus on ourselves. It's like that question we had a month or two ago, how can I make my partner go to therapy? I think the best that we can do is hold a mirror up and say, you know, this is very difficult for me. Um, and the danger is that we fall into this pattern of always wanting to be the rescuer. And actually, that's not healthy for us. So I think we need to, it's almost back to the, the, the question just before, I think we need to say, you know, share our experience. I'm finding this difficult. How can I help you? Um, would you consider going and talking to someone? So we need to try to reach our partner from a place of love, but there has to be enough of a separation between us and them. Okay, one more question before we take a break for the new sport and weather. Uh, morning, Gavin. Uh, again, this relates to, you mentioned earlier about maybe somebody losing their job, but what about maybe an illness? Because this listener goes on to say, how can my wife deal mentally with fibromyalgia? Mm -hmm. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. It makes her feel really depressed. So I think that's, that's a, um, I think it's a, it, it's a really good example. And yes, um, CBT and um, and it's not so much about positive thinking. What I'd like to talk about in this question deserves a bit more time, perhaps after, after the break, is actually um, cognitive behavioral therapy can be very good for um, illnesses, can be very good for menopause. What you're doing is, and maybe we'll talk about how what this looks like afterwards, but actually identifying what the thoughts are that comes up as a result of the illness. So we have to work, take a step back and think about what is it that I tell myself. I tell myself I'm embarrassed because maybe I have to carry a stick or um, I'm not the person I used to be and I feel judged or I feel shame. So the first step is being able to grasp what those automatic thoughts are. Are. And then maybe after the break, what I'll do is talk about what you do 
once you've identified the thoughts. Because there will be a string of thoughts that that person with fibromyalgia tells themselves about themselves and about the world. And we don't want to put a gloss of happy thinking. It's a really tough illness. But we can work with those thoughts and help that person shift their mood. Okay, well, I hope that helped answer your question. Uh, we're continuing to taking taking your questions for Gavin Sharp. We're thinking happy, be happy. Do happy thoughts actually make us feel happy, or is it a myth? If you have a question you'd like to put to Gavin, studio at rivieradio.mc. 9.26, the new sport and weather is next. It's just coming up to 20 to 10. You're listening to the Riviera Wellbeing Window with Gavin Sharp. We're discussing think happy, be happy, do happy thoughts, actually make us feel happy, or is it a myth? If you have a question uh, to put to Gavin, then you've got about 20 minutes to get it in before 10 o'clock. So studio at rivieradio.mc. Gavin, we'll move on swiftly because we've got a few questions to get through before okay. 10 o'clock. It says, hi, Gavin and Sarah. I'm currently going through the menopause and my husband, who likes to think he's a therapist but is in actual fact an estate agent, has said I should try <laughs> therapy. Uh, that annoyed me as I haven't suggested he goes to therapy when he forgets our anniversary, but let's save that one for another show. Many years ago, I saw a CBT therapist when I was stressed. Uh, can CBT work for the menopause? So, um, <laughs> state agent stroke therapist. So, uh, yes is the answer. So, let me go back then and try to tackle this question with the um, the fibro, um I always pronounce it wrong as well, myalgia um, one as well. So, I'm going to jump ahead slightly because I still want to talk a little bit about automatic thoughts and where they come from. But what tends to happen is that we have these thoughts about the impact of the illness. So we might say to ourselves, um, I'm useless, or in the case of the menopause, I am embarrassed, I feel inadequate. The menopause has so much stigma. Something gets stirred in women that is around that um, that moment of realizing the difference of the aging in their body, and we're going to go to a party tonight, and I'm going to get hot flashes potentially. So what the first step we need to do is we capture those thoughts. So I would invite in the case of the person with the menopause or another illness, what are the thoughts? What is it that you're telling yourself? So let's say it is my life is ruined or um, I'll never get over this or I feel um, overweight. Sometimes we have to take medication for illness and it has a, a real impact on our body. So what we do, I'm going to give you a technique to, to try and really tackle these thoughts because each of those thoughts is going to create a mood and that mood will be anxious, it will be depressed, it will be fearful, it will be sad. We can't change the external events. The menopause is the menopause. Um, but what you do is if you can identify those thoughts, write them down, and one of the things I often ask clients to do is, it's called, where's the evidence? So let's say the person who's um, got the menopause and they say, well, I'm, I'm useless. That's a very global statement. So I'll say, write down for me all the evidence that confirms that you're useless. So they'll write down all of the, all of the things and I'll keep going, keep going. Um, and then I'll say, now, is there anything that contradicts that anything at all? 
well, yes, you know, the, I did go dancing last week and that was absolutely fine. Um, my partner loves me. Um, I um, know that I'm still competent at at my job and what tends to happen I will usually say to someone on a scale of 0 to 10 it's a kind of classic sort of CBT technique when you start what's the scale how strong did you feel about the impact of the menopause how strong is the anxiety on a scale of 0 to 10 and they'll say invariably 8 then I'll do the where's the evidence against and it's incredible how that shift when we realize that there is some evidence that contradicts the global statement. And I'll say at the end of the exercise, now, how do you feel? How's the anxiety on a scale of 0 to 10? 5, 6. So what we've done is by just looking at those thoughts, looking at how well they serve us, how accurate they are, it begins to shift the mood. So yes, you can do it with the menopause. Yes, you can do it with other illnesses. So it's more like reversing. What you're doing is reversing your thought into making it a more positive one. You're, yes, I would actually say, rather than reversing, I would say what you're doing is reframing it. Because okay. we're not saying, and this is the danger of too much positive thinking, we're not saying, oh, come on, forget the menopause, never mind you've got fibromyalgia, the sun is shining, look, you can see the sea. That doesn't help, you're discounting the person's mm. reality. And that's the danger of too much positive thinking. But if you can take some of those thoughts, and what happens is our thoughts become patterns. We just get used to thinking a certain way. So once you help someone reframe them, sometimes I'll say to someone, not just sort of where's the evidence, but okay, let's let's stay with this line of thinking. What's the worst that can happen? Um, is there an alternative thought that you might have? What would a friend say to you? Um, and we just begin to challenge some of those negative thoughts. So we're reframing how we interpret the situation. And is it being a bit more, well, as you say, reframing it, but like like you say, maybe thinking too positively when people say, oh, uh, that you forget to appreciate maybe the important things in life and you get bogged down uh, with when something serious happens, then you go, okay, the fact that I was, uh, you know, beating myself up about being useless on this occasion or that I was never going to get over something actually happens and and we then realize maybe we're able to reframe it yes that. and I think and you're also talking which which has a place and you know I know we've discussed this before the gratitude so we mm. try to get in touch and that's where positive thinking is helpful because we tend to if we're also able to consider not discount the really crappy stuff that's going on over mm. here but actually we also tend to get in touch with what am i grateful for let me challenge some of my thoughts and then we shift our mood a bit we're not changing the reality but we're just changing the way that we look at it um and um and that's really really important and what tends to happen is that after too, when we do too much negative thinking, they become um, almost institutionalized, they become patterns. And we get really good at things like catastrophizing mm. or um, uh, discounting the positive. We get used to filtering because we get so used to everything being negative. And when someone is able to help us, this is a bit like the person that you that wrote in and said, I'm married to someone who is negative. We, we often discount the positive and we help someone see that. So I can remember doing the radio shows with you in the early days and I'd ask someone for feedback and I'd say, actually, you know, once you got going, it was actually really good. There was one question you didn't quite answer and I would sit 
with that part for the rest of that. There was a question I didn't answer. <laughs> I must be useless. People are going to remember that. And then I could go back and I could listen to it and think, yes. oh my God, I know what I should say, but I haven't got the person's email to write to them. And I've discounted the fact that what someone said is once you got going, it was a really good show. Yeah, you've taken just the negative. Yeah. And I still have a tendency to do it. So I have to recognise my pattern of thinking and there may be something in the show that wasn't so good, but there may, you know, I, I need to look at how accurate is it. If I walk away at 10 o'clock and say I'm a terrible therapist and Sarah's never going to have me back on the show, <laughs> I've, I've got to look oh, at where's, where's the evidence. And even if there is some evidence, it's probably not as global or as catastrophic as I've told myself. Okay, well, staying on negative thinking, another listener's written in saying, hello, there's a lot out there about too much negative thinking. At risk of being a party pooper, what does Gavin think about too much positive thinking? <laughs> no, I don't think you're, you're a party pooper. I think, you know, that the danger of too much positive thinking, which we sometimes talk about as, as toxic positivity, is that you, you brush off the problems and you don't face them. And that's why... To me, what we're talking about today actually is less about positive thinking. It's actually, for me, it's about managing our negative thinking. It's both. But I think that what we don't want to do is hide our true feelings behind um, some sort of facade. Um, or, you know, there's nothing worse. If I, if, I don't know, someone, my... my dog dies, I hope I don't go home and find that's the case, but my dog dies and so, well, don't worry, you know, you've got another one. That's, that's minimising someone's feelings. And, you know, when that happens to us as kids sometimes, parents from a really good place um, will sometimes do that, not intending to do it, but actually you're minimising someone's feelings or potentially um, you're shaming someone for not being positive. So, like all these things, it's a balance. Too much positivity, not helpful. Too much negativity, not helpful. Okay, and another listener says, Hi, Sarah, where was Gavin when I needed him? Oh, tell me about that. <laughs> I was married for 20 years to someone who was a glass-half-empty guy. Sometimes it wasn't even a glass. He refused therapy, believing it would not change his circumstances. I always wondered whether you were born a pessimist or and a negative thinker. Maybe therapy wouldn't have helped. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a good one. Gosh, I'm thinking about a family member of mine. Um, I think that it doesn't, it doesn't change the circumstances per se, because if someone comes in and says, I am grieving, I can't change that. I don't have a magic wand to stop the person grieving. Um, so, but what it does do is it helps us interpret and process the, um, the events. So, um, it's not going to change the circumstances. Would it have made any difference? Um, look, there are some people who it is genetic. Um, as I said before, that our brains are wired to think negatively um, because it's that fear response that's in, inbuilt, that sort of fight or flight. Some people, it's about family dynamics and it's about past experiences. And if we work through those past experiences, we suddenly feel less burdened and we feel more joyful and we don't feel so negative. So I can't know whether therapy would have helped. Um, people are often resistant to therapy because they do say, well, it's not going to change anything. Um, but it might change the way we 
look at those events. But um, yes, some people it is more genetic, and for some of us it is more about also what's happened to us growing up. You know, mm. if I was bullied at school, I'm going to carry that through to my adulthood. So there are lots of different reasons why people might end up being more pessimistic. Okay, we'll take a very quick break. Uh, Gavin Sharp is with me, Riviera Wellbeing, the Wellbeing Window. We're talking about Think Happy, Be Happy, studio at rivieradio.mc. You've got about 10 minutes if you have a question you'd like to put to Gavin Sharp. For property services in Monaco, across the Côte d'Azur and the French Alps, contact Savills, local property experts with a truly international reach. Think property, think Savills. A round of golf with fantastic views, a relaxing massage in the spa, a peaceful night in a prestige room, a refined lunch at the restaurant, pleasure of the senses and relaxation at Les Domaines de Saint-Andriol Golf and Spa Resort between Cannes and Saint-Tropez. A piece of heaven on earth. www.st-andriol.com Professional. If you're looking for a location to set up your office, then CBRE, the world number one company in real estate consulting for business, is the solution for rental or sale, commercial outlets, hotels or restaurants. CBRE will help you in every step of your establishment on the French Riviera. Find out more at immobilier.cbr.fr en. For property services in Monaco, across the Côte d'Azur and throughout the French Alps, contact Savills, the local property experts with a truly international reach. Think property, think Savills. It's just gone 10 to 10. It's the Riviera Wellbeing Window. I'm joined by a psychotherapist and executive coach, Gavin Sharp. We're discussing thinking happy, happy to be happy. Uh, another question from a listener, Gavin, uh, moving on swiftly. Uh, so we've got just under 10 minutes left. I don't deal that brilliantly with negative reviews from guests who stare at my chambre d'hôte, but I have just uh, read the very good ones and I try to balance very few bad ones. Is that a way of dealing with it? I think it's a great way of dealing with it. And it's important, of course, you don't want to ignore perhaps all of the bad ones because maybe there'll be some information there. Um, but absolutely. Well, you know, I remember the first time I wrote a, 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 one of the very first articles I wrote for the independent newspaper in the UK, and it was to do with sex addiction. It was to do with Harvey Weinstein. And I then made the mistake of I read the comments at the bottom. Um, and that affected me for the rest of the day. Oh, and it was, okay. and when the person at the Voices team in the, in the Independent, they said, but nobody reached those. And it was sort of, you know, is this guy really qualified? Um, I've seen his website. He's not a real therapist. I thought, my goodness, this, I am a real therapist. I'm qualified. So I learned to not look at those comments. So, you know, I, I might want to pay some joking aside, some attention. But yes, why not look at the positive ones? And then you can get a balanced outlook. No, it, it is difficult. Do you not think that there is kind of a wave of that? I mean, kindness in our society, I don't know at the moment, I just get the impression it's completely gone out of the window. And maybe social media leads to that. People can say things behind social media. They don't actually pick up the phone and tell you or call in and say, this is what I think and give reasons why and how. I mean, yes. That, I, I, sorry, I interrupted you. No, do you I, think that's had an impact on 
on having positive thoughts and being able to maybe be a bit more positive about life in general. I do because I think we sort of maybe we just get into the habit of where we think we can do it online. So I might as well say it just to Sarah in person or and it's just it's brutal when you look at sort of someone's Twitter feed or the mm. comments or so. Um, so, so yes, Rob, Rob used to name and shame. He used to say to me in the morning, right, I'm going to name and shame those. Um. Yeah, because it, it is it, it is sad and actually, um, you know, it's almost like you, you almost want to sound like now our parents, where if you've got nothing good to say, don't say it. And it's, mm. I think there is a level of um, sometimes the social media that our anger can come through and it's and it, and it can be very damaging, and particularly for teenagers who are so malleable and really um, influenced by that. So, yes, I'm with you. No, it is. It's, it's hard. I just remember one referring to me as Miss Harrison <laughs> and not having very nice things to say but I won't mention I'm not going to name and shame but I've been wanting to for months but tell no. me afterwards <laughs> I certainly will okay so can you give an example of how we can change our negative thoughts because we've managed to find out what they are and where they come from and how they relate to our moods if for example someone is depressed how might this work so I think Firstly, what we do is we identify what the negative thoughts um, are. So as I said before, so make a list. And you know, sometimes it can also be really useful to reflect on. Just sit down and ask yourself a little bit about what are your rules for living? What are the rules and assumptions that you've made about life? And sometimes we don't even know that we've got these rules for living. So we find out that Oh, yes. Well, I was always told, you know, never lend people money. Um, you know, I've discussed that one before and you seem to lend everybody money, but except for me. Um, and then or, you know, I had a client once who said, never leave the home without makeup. Women don't do mm. that. And that just becomes ingrained. So we have all these rules and assumptions and then they become core beliefs. They become really deep. Um, and also, of course, as I said before, events, if we were bullied at school. And so what we do is that we begin to um, uh, look at, understand what those negative thoughts um, are. And then we have to be able to sit down and really recognize, by the way, any of the thought patterns. Do I catastrophize? Am I a black and white thinker? Um, do I think globally? Do I discount the positive? So we really want to look at what triggers those negative thoughts. That's the first thing. So sometimes I'll tell people, keep a journal. Just spend a week and keep a journal of the events that happen and what you tell yourself. And usually we'll find we tell ourselves things like, I'm no good, I'm useless, um, people don't like me. And then we begin to interrogate those and we look for things like, where's the evidence? Um, is there another way you can look at this? Um, how well, how well are these thoughts serving you? Um, sometimes I will say to client, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Are you going to be able to live through this? And then I twist it slightly and I say, well, what's the best that can happen? What will probably happen? So we just begin, what, what might happen if you shift your thinking? And this is sometimes the difference between therapy and coaching. And most of us therapists do a bit of both. I mean, I wear another hat. I'm, I am a, a, an executive coach. But therapy is often looking at sort of what's gone wrong in life um, and how you can reduce the symptoms. And positive psychology and some of the stuff that we're talking about today is, but what's right? 
let's look at your strengths. Let's, let's look at you at your best. So again, what we're doing is we take those negative thoughts if someone is depressed and then we begin to reframe them. And even though some of the circumstances don't change, the way we feel about them do. So long-winded answer, we identify the thoughts and we begin to evaluate them. And one last thing I'll say, some of the things that we often do in CBT, which is less about thinking, but then we schedule stuff that we enjoy. Have a look at your diary and when did you last schedule to do something pleasurable? So there's other techniques as well that we also do when working with someone who's depressed. I did the other day, but I went to the wrong place. Well, you get points for trying. <laughs> I do apologise to Kaz and the gang because I was supposed to meet up. I don't often uh, treat myself to lunch, but I did, and I went to the wrong r- wrong beach that doesn't exist in Nice whilst they were having a nice time in Monaco. Well, come on, we'll do lunch. Let's <laughs> we'll do, do it. Lunch. I'm not sure for you it'll be pleasure, but I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> OK, well, just to finish off, the, the technique you've just been talking about... Um, For example, can it work to cure maybe addiction? And what about anger and all of that? Yes, you know, one of the things, if you think going back to triggers, um, again, if think about relationships first, and then we talk about addiction. If you are spending a lot of time angry in your relationship, you asked about anger, I'll ask someone, take the event, what was the trigger? Well, I had a massive argument with my partner. Okay, what was it that you thought right before you walked out the room and slammed it? What was it that you told yourself? She doesn't love me or um, they don't acknowledge me. Okay, how true is that? So we capture, we capture the thought. So yes, it works with anger. We're looking for the triggers. And so much work with addiction is helping someone identify um, what's the thing that triggered you. And often, let's say it's the argument, that's when I went to drink. Okay. So you can avoid relapse by working out that certain things trigger you. Those triggers cause you to have some very strong feelings. And a lot of addiction is about not being able to manage feelings. Um, So yes, um, understanding our triggers, how those triggers then lead us to have these negative thoughts and moods. If we can catch the triggers, um, it's certainly part of how we recover from addiction um, and certainly um, and certainly anger. And the, the more we reduce, I'll say this finally, the more we reduce the negative thinking, you know, the less anxious, the less depressed we're going to feel. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much, and I hope that's uh, made everybody feel a bit happier. There's also the fact that when I... I mean, I've read read some books about happiness because my mother is extremely positively... always thinking positive, and it can be a bit annoying sometimes because you just can't get over that (laughs) hill. Uh, But it's often, isn't it, that sometimes we maybe think there's a path to happiness when there isn't actually a path to achieving happiness. Happiness is actually what is here every day. Yes, and, and you know, I had, a, I had a coach many years ago, and I think I've, I've shared this on the air before, and one of the things I'd say, well, you know, something's gone wrong, and, and he'd say, ah, oh, I wonder what good will come of this. And first it would just frustrate me. I said, like, what <laughs> bloody good's going to come of that? I've just told you that... The, and, but then actually, if you really reflect and you, you, you hold that something bad has happened, and I'm not talking disastrous or life-changing... But then I begin to reframe and think, okay, well, maybe if you think about it, go back to the person who lost their job, well, maybe this is an opportunity. Mm. So you're right, it's about in each moment throughout our day, when I do I interpret those moments positively or negatively and how can I reframe them?
Okay, well, Gavin Sharp, uh, Riviera Wellbeing. Thank Can I you. just say your mum could be happy today because you said it's her anniversary? It was yesterday, 50, so yesterday, they probably 50 argued by yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> 52 years. She was cooking a coco vin and Charlotte was turning up and Elliot was there. So, uh, Well, I yes. hope she was happy at least briefly <laughs> or for She's some of yesterday. She's always happy. She says, that, you know, certain people, a very famous person always sends her emails saying, um, live life and love life. Yeah. So she tells me that's what Why I should not? do every day. Yeah, but then when you've got to call the, you know, administration and this and that, it can bog you down <laughs> with everyday things and else. Anyway, Gavin Sharp, how can we get in contact with you? So you can get in contact with me by, uh, have a look at my website, rivierawellbeing.com, and the email is gavin at rivierawellbeing.com. And uh, what is it next time? I think next time um, I want to talk a little bit about, because we've touched upon it today, about anxiety, how we can manage it. We've all got some elements of social anxiety or we worry, we fret, it's normal. So when is it healthy and when is it unhealthy? And apart from changing our thoughts, what can we do about anxiety? Okay, I'll look forward to it. Gavin Sharp, thank you very much once again. I've had, I always feel like this is free therapy for me, so <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. You are welcome and thank you. Okay, Gavin Sharp from Riviera Wellbeing. And just to say that in, uh, weather's coming up in international news headlines and ending on an Oscar Wilde quote, some cause happiness wherever they go, others whenever they go. Riviera Radio is available on all your devices. Your mobile phone, your computer, your tablet, smartwatches, and smart speakers. We are on FM, DAB+, and you can stream the station from our website. You can re-listen to reports and interviews on our website. You'll find Riviera Radio news and information on social media. And every day, we email the daily news to thousands of people. Today, it is easier than ever to see, hear, and feel Riviera Radio. Riviera Radio.